My greatest criticism of Psych was that they never used Lasseter well. They never used Lasseter well. And, like, he, there was so much potential in that character, I felt, for, like, so much more. They keep pulling him back from legitimate character steps development. forward. Yeah. Speaking of pulling people back from legitimate steps forward, uh, Pi. Pi. <laughs> what? Welcome to Back in the Field, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine podcast. I'm Carl. My name is Arthi. And by the way, how awesome is it that we can say the Brooklyn Nine-Nine podcast? I never get over that. Well, we did do the thing. Anyone else who does the thing now is going to look like a faker, a poser, a hater, a stepper, a fronter. Are we fronting still? <laughs> no, we're never going to talk about that ever again, Carl. <laughs> Let's never mention this again, much like Emmy time. <laughs> who's going to stop me? Is it you? Is it me? Is it you? Couldn't be. Okay, I guess I'm stopped then. Then who? What? No. No, no. I don't want to know about who. (laughs) No, no. That's the... Who stole the cookies from the cookie jar? I'm I'm aware of the cookie jar. Of of its existence. (laughs) What? Oh, God. This is horrible. Let's move on. So, today we're going to talk about... 48 hours. 48 hours. (laughs) Today we're going to talk about 48 Hours, which is one of my favorite episodes. I Maybe it's because I just have a huge crush on Kid Cudi. I think I have a huge crush on Kid Cudi. You might have a huge crush on Kid Cudi. He's so handsome. He's a very attractive man. Shamey's 5'9". I mean, he wasn't available before he was 5'9", you know. What? <laughs> like, he's not really a pursuable option. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter if he's shorter than you, especially because on TV he's always going to be like sitting down or shot from below or something. Yeah, it's true. So you can just pretend that he's not 5'9". That's true. Like he's, Robert Downey Jr. Oh my god, you're right. He is very, he's a petite human. Relative. Robert Downey Jr. is like 5'4". He's so petite. He's even shorter than Daniel Radcliffe. Oh my god. Is he really? Yeah. Oh. Daniel Radcliffe is like 5'8", I think. Six. Yeah. He's really small. Wow. Wait. How tall is Gwyneth Paltrow? Gwyneth Paltrow is very tall. She's my And he's usually on, like, two to three inch heels in those movies. Yeah, what the hell do they do? Do they just have stairs everywhere? They have very, very complicated arrangements, and you never, ever see them with their feet. Is it? Together. Is, yeah. I was going to say, because it's like, it's like in Lord of the Rings, where they had to always have the hobbits be, like, on a three-foot lower platform than Gandalf. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure you guys found this terribly fascinating. Let's actually talk about the 48 Hours episode, because I really like this. As did I. (laughs) So, when we set out to figure out what we are going to say about 48 Hours, we kept saying to each other, is this the first time this happens? No. Is this the first time this happens? No. This doesn't actually do anything for the first time. It re-ups all the major... Uh, character threads. Yes, excellent use of re-up. It's one of my like favorite little bits of street jargon. Street jargon? Street jargon. Street? <laughs> the first time I heard the re-up was when I watched The Wire. Oh, okay. But like the, the I just instinctively knew what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was watching The Wire, I was really surprised by like how much of the uh, drug trade lingo like the the show uses it pretty accurately and I was surprised by how much of it has like become into like popular consciousness. 
Like, I just instinctively knew what all the, like, sort of terminology they used meant without me ever... I have never sold drugs. Oh, good. <laughs> Not that you would admit it on your podcast. Well, the statute of limitations would have been up regardless. Had I been selling drugs, I would have been selling drugs in college. Okay. Is that... How long is the statute of limitations on drug selling? It's not very long, actually. It's huh. very short. It's like, I think, about a year. Still a deal breaker for me. You can't be a drug dealer and, <laughs> and, and be on a podcast with me. That's just not... It's not in my contract. Fortunately, I've never been a drug dealer. And also, what contract? The, our contract was me... St- it's a verbal contract. And it is not in there. I you will find. Anyway... So nothing in this episode is new. A lot of it is, like you said, it's a re-up, which, again, love that word. But it's all refreshing sort of uh, things that have already happened. But it's not like a retread the way the tagger was, where the tagger was really, really rewalking the play, uh, the path that the pilot laid down. In this case, we're getting character development, but not, like, new character information per se. It's a minor evolution in a lot of their ongoing plots. Like, it's an evolution of how Jake and Amy's dynamic works, which is, but like, it's not like the vulture, it's not foundational. It's an evolution of Charles as a foodie. It's an evolution of basically the entire suite of Terry's self image. Mm hmm. And, you know, it's certainly not the first time Jake has majorly screwed up an operation by being a dumbass. <laughs> true enough. True enough. So, to sum up, the A-plot in this episode is Jake takes in Kid Cuddy, whose character's name I don't remember. I don't care. Nope, not coming up with anything. Straight nothing. Uh, He takes them in with insufficient evidence. They have 48 hours to get enough evidence to convict and prosecute, or else... They open themselves up to a lawsuit. This ruins everyone's weekend for reals. Um, meanwhile, Boyle gets himself caught in the crossfire of an epic food dispute between Rosa and Gina, who do not agree on what the best pie in New York is. They both have bad pie preferences. Mm-hmm. And uh, Terry throws himself way too far into his work to the extent that he becomes even more sleep deprived than everyone else. Because he doesn't want to go home and see his brother-in-law, who is friggin' enormous. Yes, that actor is really, really tall. Yeah. Like, really, really tall. Like, really tall. So, yeah, I... I <laughs> pie, pie is everywhere in this episode. Um, not even just, like, like figuratively. Like, like after the pie starts, there's pie on every surface. <laughs> yes. and It's fact, like, no pie, all pie. <laughs> there's <laughs> The minute Terry's, like, everyone has to try all the pies from both restaurants... And after Jake says that is so many pies, we never have a scene without pie somewhere. And it's actually, I, as like a huge TV nerd, I have to give serious props to the set dressers for this episode because there's really pie everywhere. There's really pie everywhere. The line, that's so many, I really love it because before that, everyone's eating pie. Everyone in the office, all the extras have a plate with pie on it. There's a bunch of boxes. And then Gina comes in with a stack of meringues that is like, her chin to the very extension of her hands. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that so many was unscripted dialogue because it's the only reasonable response to having that many meringues. <laughs> well, and, and it's just like, there is literally pie everywhere. Not just extras in the background carrying pies now. Now there's just like 
stacks of boxes in corners, half-eaten pieces like on chairs, mm-hmm. much to Amy's chagrin. Pie <laughs> and, assassins. Oh, there's just pie everywhere. And it ends up becoming this, not a red herring, but like Chekhov's... Chekhov's pie, I guess. Where it's just like, it's ubiquitous. And, and it becomes like a thing to sort of... I think you're imagining me- a world in which every Anton Chekhov play just has guns <laughs> springing out of the floorboards. Like, there's so many guns. Drowning in guns. <laughs> Carl. Carl, it's a trope. Chekhov's gun is a trope name. No, I know. Okay. But it's not that trope. Oh. Fine. Whatever. It's like, you have to use... You, you see the pie in Act 1, you have to... You, someone has to get hit in the face of the pie in Act 3. That's not this trope. <laughs> <laughs> this is the pineapple gag, if anything. Pineapple gag! That's I've been exactly. watching a shit ton of psych. <laughs> so the entire situation, like, this is really a domino effect, right? Yeah. There's a argument between two very fierce people, like Rosa and Gina have a body of heads over the shared territory of scaring the fuck out of everyone else and making them do what you want. Gina's line is, uh, you don't get to just bully everyone around. I'm the bully here. Ask anyone. Yeah. But Rosa's great line before that is wrong, ignorant, and wrong. (laughs) Yeah. These are two people who are not going to agree about pie. No. No. Not at all. Boyle gets called in to settle it, which I think cements him as, you know, a foodie here. Yeah. Though his terrified expression when he gets called over is absolutely perfect. And because he can't give an honest answer, Gina has to escalate. Gina escalates by pulling Boyle into the evidence lockup and telling him that she knows that she knows what he's doing. She calls him out on his behavior. And one of the things that Carl and I were talking about, dear audience, is that when the, 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 we see here the primary difference between uh, Charles's relationship with Rosa versus his relationship with Gina. Gina has no qualms calling him out. And apparently Rosa can't tell when Boyle is obviously lying. Because when the actual pie tasting happens between Crust and Flatbush Diner, Boyle is like, I think anyone with two eyes could see that Boyle is lying. Like, Boyle hates that pie. Yeah, no, he's like barely able to eat it. And in fact, he straight up tells Rosa later that it's inedible and that food is supposed to be edible. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> and, and, and we'll come back to that. But like, Gina says to him, I know what you're doing. She's not going to like this. And that, you know, no woman wants to be with a guy who will lie to her, except for me, (laughs) because I'm wired to thrive on dysfunction. So maybe wonder, and in my original notes for this episode, Carl can can corroborate this, like, that um, I I was starting to wonder if, like, we, we have a theory about when we think Gina and Boyle was, like, really being set up. It's probably, it's probably here, right? Yeah. Like, there's... You know, you could argue for it from the first episode with the way she tries to discourage him from going after Rosa. But here it's really like she tells him her preferences and she tells him that her preferences line up with a stupid bullshit thing he just did, Mm -hmm. which weird. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she then escalates really hard to get him further into trouble to see what he'll do. It's it's an interesting thing, and if it is a courtship activity for her, that's terrifying. <laughs> but it'll make for really interesting kindling for the next season. Yeah, because Gina straight up says, I like being lied to, or rather, she's kind of into Charles lying. 
and she'll still call him on it when it's too much. Like, she can be into... Charles is actually someone who buries a lot of himself. Despite putting himself really far out there a lot of the time, he'll also bury his preferences and try to, like, play nice and please everyone. And Gina will be like, okay, you're lying to me. That's kind of funny right now. But this is too far. This actually matters. You better speak your mind or I will destroy you. And the former point you made there comes back when... Boyle actively, he he knows what he's doing. He's self-aware about this. Because in Thanksgiving, he says, I'm a textbook people pleaser. Like, the behavior you just described of sub subsuming your own personal wants, desires, and feels for the sake of other people to like you is textbook people pleasing. Yeah. What's also interesting about this whole episode, it sets up that Rosa does not have a ton of empathy. Rosa is not a very good reader of other people. That's not where her skills as a detective lie. Mm-mm. I don't think we see her be incisive about people very often, except when, like, the behavior is made super obvious to her. Like, when the behavior is made super obvious to her, she often has a good decision tree for what happens next, but she doesn't figure people out. I would see that, except that in Emmy time, Rosa, you know, kind of sticks up for Charles, and then in Pontiac Bandit, she... she calls out Jake on his behavior and, like, is sort of seeing where his, like, motivation is coming from. Sure, but those are both about knowing Jake. Right? Like, knowing how Jake is going to operate and knowing what a detective relationship is supposed to work. Like, she knows how detective partnership is supposed to work. That's her career. But we don't see her catching perps because she figures them out. We see her being dogged and scaring information out of people, like she's an interrogator, she's a motivator, but she's not, she's not like Jake or, you know, even like Boyle, who gets inside other people's heads. Mm. Yeah, I see that. Either way, I think we're both sort of talking around that Rosa has a blind spot when it comes to Boyle. And I have a suspicion that it's in part because she's trying to, like, keep him at arm's length. Yeah, she doesn't want to validate his fixation on her by admitting it. Yeah, and so that, it's nice to see that that changes, because she does become more sensitive to Boyle over the course of the series. But we'll get to those episodes when we get to those episodes. Yeah. So because Boyle's this, like, textbook people-pleaser, kind of coming back, like, getting caught between two people who have, like, contradictory, like, Ways to be pleased. He cannot please them both. Nope. And it is absolutely his area of expertise. It's absolutely his, you know, responsibility to make a good food decision. He mm-hmm. owes it to the food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone can ever know everything about food. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I... So, we we posted the episode uh, for the weekend after Memorial Day weekend, like, a couple days late, because Carl and I were vacationing, staycationing. Mm-hmm. And for me... I had a friend staying with me, and I was quoting Brooklyn Nine-Nine verbatim away from the television multiple times, like, throughout the entire weekend. It was kind of a problem, just, you know, for you guys' you know, personal information. Just, I'm sure you guys really cared about that. Mm. But yeah, so Boyle can't please both of them. And in fact, actually, I like that Boyle's solution is to, like, disappoint and, like, over-deliver to both of them. He yeah. brings them the Argos... Argos restaurant, cafe, bakery, whatever. He brings him the Argos apple pie. And he's like, 
There is a right answer. Now that you did it right, this is my area of expertise. I can't please both of you, so I'm going to please food. Yes, I'm going to please myself. Also, you will be satisfied by this pie. <laughs> Not just satisfied. Gina says I, it's so good, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, even Rosa, Rosa says the only positive thing she said that entire episode. She says, damn it, this is amazing. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, he does know Pi. And when he, he gets pushed to this extreme breaking point, uh, at which point he's super hilarious and super aggressive. Which I love. And super apologetic for like. Calling them bitches, which also I loved. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, like he'd better apologize, mm-hmm. asshole. He's so worked up that he can't help but turn off his filter. Yeah, and it's a nice parallel to sort of Jake and Amy getting strung out and their sort of attitudes mm-hmm. changing as well. But coming back to Rosa keeping Boyle at arm's length, this is actually really ob- obvious in uh, when they talk about their first dates, mm-hmm. their ideal first dates. Uh, because Boyle's like, oh, like it bas- Boyle's basically like, romantic wonk on the beach. And Rose is like, yeah, no. <laughs> Well, what what Boyle's like is, you know, maybe it's someone you've worked with, you've known for a long time, maybe you worked for them, and it's like, ugh, everyone knows what you're talking about, Boyle. Right? And, you know, you have an emotional investment in this person that they can't shake off, and then suddenly you're kissing them. And and Rose is just like, nope, meet a stranger, fuck them, the end. But this is a great subversion, because if they were foreshadowing, if they were thinking about foreshadowing for Boyle Gina later... That's literally how they end up hooking up in the finale. Yeah, they've known each other for a while, and then... I mean, we don't know how they hooked up. <laughs> but ostensibly, We have no idea how they hooked up. But ostensibly, it goes like any other hookup in life goes. Yeah. You're talking, you're laughing maybe, and then there's kissing, and then there's just like, blammo. Yeah. <laughs> Except uh, maybe one of you's wearing a bandage, because you burned your arm on coffee. That's not, you know, necessary for this... <laughs> formula in case those at home were wondering true but Rose- we're not dating advice though except don't be boil yeah don't be boil and also don't don't listen to us for dating advice maybe listen to carl don't listen to me i mean you need to know me to a certain degree before you can ask for that service but it is one i provide and i'll just offer straight up advice in general i'm i'm such a busybody. i'm a nosy nosy anyway so what I like about the first date scene is, you know, it, it bounces off of Amy's very basic expectations, which covers up the fact that Jake doesn't profess to have an ideal first date. Yeah, Carl, this is a great point. Carl's really good at this. I'm pretty sure it's because Jake only goes on first dates. Like, do we know about anyone he dated? Except besides for, like, what's her name, Gildenhorn? Jenny Gildenhorn? Even then, though, first of all, that was when he was, like, 13, 14. Yeah, I feel like they went on a couple of dates and then it ended without ceremony, as things do. Yeah, but also not to mention, maybe maybe my life has been extraordinarily sheltered compared to most people. But when I was 13 or 14, my parents were not letting me be alone anywhere. Yeah. Let alone with, like, another person of the gender they assumed I preferred. Like, I would not have been allowed alone with any, like male friend of mine at that age no but since then like he's gone on a thousand first dates and not a thousand second dates <laughs> we because we, i think he has to make a spectacle out of all of them probably yeah yeah probably i mean because like the the dates of his we do see are cheapest first date possible the the date where the girl walks out on him because he's harassing amy 
Ber- uh, Bernice. But he Bernice- does get repeats with the medical examiner. Yeah. Whose name I don't know. I don't know if he knows. She She's not named. Ha! She's not named in the show. We talked about this. <laughs> we talked about this in Emmy time. How she's never been named. She's just like, hi, I'm the new Emmy. Emmy. I'm the new medical examiner. Cool, cool. She does not introduce herself by name at all. She might have a name in the script because um, Pembroke has a name in the script. Uh-huh. But we never we never see it. Or it's never told to us. Mm-hmm. Except in passing once by Holt. Anyway, um, yeah, we... And even Bernice doesn't really count because I think Jake would have had a second date with her if he is he hadn't tanked it himself in trying to present Charles. But that's a that's a conversation for a later episode. We keep having that this episode. We keep being like, it ties to this later thing. That's probably the problem with a re-up episode is that a lot of things are just going to connect to future things and we can't really talk about the future things now because then in the future we don't have anything to talk about. Yay! Yay. <laughs> let's talk about the shipping, Carl. Let's talk about the shipping. Because let's be real, our entire audience has been waiting for us to talk about the shipping. Shipping, They've shipping. They've been waiting 20 minutes for us to talk about shipping. So this is a Jake Amy episode. Yeah. Um, everything focused on Jake as always because he's the center of the problem. Mm-hmm. But everyone else basically finds stuff to do. Amy is constantly thinking about how Jake has specifically disappointed her again. Mm-hmm. So, like... She had a date set up with Handsome Luke uh, from Facebook. Uh, <laughs> no, no, from Logged In. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, from Logged In. Is that what it's called? <laughs> there's, no, there's no brand on that. Kay. It just says Logged In in the top left corner. I mean, but Jake does say she only has ex-friends on Facebook. That is confirmed to be Facebook that they're looking at. It's just not Facebook. No, no. She, he says you only have one friend and she works with these seven people. You sure? Something like that. I don't okay. think they named Facebook. So yeah, Amy's entire focus is just on Jake disappointing her and her specifically. Fucking up her date, as he's done before. And yeah. as he takes great joy in doing. But not this time. He's clearly like actively apologetic and actively remorseful. And in fact he's he aside from the like weird donkey catcall thing that he tries to do at the beginning, every interaction they have from there on is is not him necessarily trying to make it up to her so much as, like, kind of proactively nice to her. Yeah. Uh, and so, not, like, nice guy nice. Like, nice. Just nice. So the thing about it is that Jake can't derive any pleasure from accidentally screwing up something for Amy. That's not the way he works. And when he screws up something for Amy that he knows is because of his actual faults, he's got to make it right to the extent that he can. So not only does he try to get her date back, he eventually succeeds somehow. I think he made friends with the handsome Luke. Like I would, I would really like it if in like season three it turns out that he and handsome Luke are really great friends. But Amy doesn't want to see handsome Luke around. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a pretty good episode, in my opinion. They he Jake says so. My new best friend, handsome Luke. <laughs> Yeah. And then, I, well, you know, we know that he goes through Amy's purse. There's no reason to say he doesn't go through Amy's phone. Yeah. He almost certainly has. He got, I mean, he contacts Handsome Luke. He straight up says, I called Handsome Luke. I told him this whole weekend was my fart par- fault, partially. But, but not only does he get that date back on track, he also tries time and again to make things more bearable for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the world of you. Yeah. 
like when she sits on the pie, which is his fault in her mind and his. Like he didn't put that pie there. We know where his pie is. Yes, and also that she sits in Charles's desk, not her desk. Yeah. I was looking, I was like, wait, that isn't first of all, the angle's wrong, because she's sitting like across from Jake. Yeah. And second of all, Amy doesn't have an L-shaped desk. Charles does, Jake does, Gina does. That's it. And some like, other random un- unnamed detectives do. Uh-huh. But, like, Rosa doesn't. Amy doesn't. Holt doesn't. Terry doesn't. None of them have L-shaped desks. Random fun fact! <laughs> I'm obsessive. Um, fortunately, Carl's not compulsive. So even though he didn't put the pie there, they both acknowledge that it is his fault that she sent on that pie. Yes. Because... He's why she's there on the weekend. So yes. he, he tries to counteract that by saying one of the sweetest things he says to anyone in the entire show. Yes. Like, I think the world of you yes. as a partner and a friend. That's pretty heavy stuff. And she just goes, shut up, Jake. And he's like, okay. Yeah. That's like, that's intense. Like, that is genuinely Carl's right. That's the kindest thing Jake ever says to anyone before, like, Really, the like bulk of his maturation sets in. Later on in the series, we see him being very openly kind to and with Charles. But we don't see that in this, like, the initial order. Yeah. And that is super sincere. Like, I don't think we have any reason to believe that it's not. No. But I think part of the reason it's sincere is because that it's... They're at the point where they're very strung out. Like, it's pretty much after this that, like, Amy switches back into, like, her desk clothes. Right. And, uh... Their entire dynamic is pretty, like, mellowed out um, because they're strung out. They've been working, in, like, in the same room for about 30, for 30 hours straight. Yeah. And, um, and Carl and I were going back and forth on whether or not this counts as a bottle episode. I actually don't think so. So we decided to call this a pressure cooker episode. We've got the, like, time clock pressure. We've got everyone basically stuck within a relatively limited physical space from one another. And uh, and we've got, like, a, a pressing, like, external concern. So, like we said in The Vulture, the episodes where Jake and Amy get along the best are the episodes where they have a common enemy, where they have something to uh, compete against that isn't each other. Mm-hmm. And this one, that's the situation that Jake created, the mm-hmm. clock. So, despite the fact that everyone has good reason to hate Jake... They're all still focused on doing this task as a team. And uh, and even Jake says, can we just send everyone home? This is my fault. It's not fair for them to have their weekends ruined because of my mistake. And Holt says, no, if you genuinely believe that this is... This guy did it. Yeah. It, Dustin. That's the guy's name. Dustin uh, Whitaker, I think. Yeah, something like that. Wow. Hey, it only took us half an hour talking about this episode before you remember the guy's name. Did 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 Jesse ever get named beyond my name is definitely Jesse? Yes, uh, Lucas Witt. No, that's a later dude. Also, we can only have one Luke per episode. Handsome yeah, yeah, Luke yeah. is handsome Luke. Yeah, he gets named. Uh, he gets named. I don't remember what his name is. Doesn't matter. Useless yeah. person. Anyway, it's just random extra. Let's talk about my patch tingles for you. Uh huh. Because that's my favorite. Honestly, we we talk a lot about the first half and the second half of the show, and the first half being the initial order, and the second half being the back nine. I my patch tingles for you. First of all, somebody on Tumblr. I think it's it's not Falula Tongs. It might be Lara 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 or I don't even know if I've even heard of Lara Lara Lara. She's great. You should know her. Okay. Um, somebody on my Tumblr feed, Cresselia, one of you 
has my patch tingles for you as your OTP tag for Jake and Amy. 100% agree. This is where that's... Like, the them being completely strung out and having the common enemy of the time crunch really brings up the best of their friendship early on. And at the point of that scene, they've basically given up. Yes. They don't think they're going to have any more breakthroughs and they're just, you know horsing around to try to get through this with their friendship intact. Yes, because remember, the scene almost immediately preceding this is him being like, this is killing me, and she's like, good, die. Yeah. And then and then he asks to borrow her glasses for something ter- terrifically inappropriate. Uh, I do not like that part. I know, that line just really annoys me, but her, like, grumpy cat frown is makes that scene. Um, but then, like, when they're in the break room together and they find the image of the guy yeah amy like amy pauses the video and they both groan and lean back and she says let's just arrest this guy what does it matter anymore and she's given up on getting her date back yep and she says it's impossible to be a cop and date (laughs) carl and i have we've talked about that a little bit before she's she's wrong frankly (laughs) like i just i just i i have an all-consuming job too and i can i find time to date sorry also like Holt seems to have managed it. <laughs> so Hitchcock and Scully do, by all right. Well, I mean, Hitchcock and Scully are nine to fivers. <laughs> True. Rosa, we find out in the next episode, Rosa's a boyfriend. Um, and that Rosa, we know Rosa's dating. Yeah. Like, that's that's not ever made a secret. There's no shortage of, like, other people dating on this show. This is a problem Amy creates for herself, I feel. And regardless, when she's given up, Jake actually says one of the sweeter things, I think, for, from a fandom perspective. I think the world of you is very kind. Here, he's like, uh, what, the line is, somewhere out there, there's a guy with incredibly low standards. A super weird soul patch. <laughs> Who's right for you. And then he prints out the picture of the guy's face and says, Amy, can't even do it. My patch tingles for you. We will wed on the Isle of New Jersey. Not an island. <laughs> no, New Our Jersey first dance will be to Jesse's girl because my name is definitely Jesse. <laughs> and then Amy, this is, I was telling Carl, Amy starts like rubbing the, the picture soul patch and going, oh, so romantic. They pull apart and like sober up when Scully and Holt walk in. Yeah. And they're eating pie. There's blueberry pie just in front of them. Incidentally, I, what I was going to try and say earlier is that it's a pineapple gag, yes. But it also was like giving them something to do. Because they're just sitting there eating pie together <laughs> during that scene. That's all they're doing. He puts down the pie to like kind of tap her on the shoulder or on the arm or something. And then say, there's a guy out there with incredibly low standards. Right. I don't know. I and just, do you think that's the sweetest thing in, in, in fandom well, the thing to say? I really enjoyed that scene. I oh, it's thought, super enjoyable. It's, it's super just, cute, too. Because it's like he's trying to be reassuring in a way that's like not when she's like actively like unhappy. Like, actively on guard against. Yeah, exactly. When she's like the, the shock and anger of like ruining her dress, which is like definite like the last vestige of hope of her salvaging that date. Like... As opposed to this, where she's, like, kind of at her wit's end and, like, just, like, done. And he's, like, trying to keep her going. That's more like true partnerships. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's why I think it's so sweet is because we seldom see them being good partners in the earlier part of the show. Um, Whereas this is really him finding the angle that will give her hope. Yeah. 
I think we covered the shipping in this episode. I think it was handled. Yeah. Although she does give him the sort of clue he needs to finish out the case. That's the last yeah. thing. Like, accidentally. Yes. But she does that a lot, actually. Yeah. Throughout the series, she does that a lot. Serious season. So far, it's the series. I don't know. I have no idea how we're going to hook this around to Terry. We're talking about Terry now! <laughs> no good segue! Here we go! God, that is so loud. The bars are just solid. Guys, sometimes we don't have segues, and sometimes we just yell out, Segway time! So, Terry, he's there. He's got a brother-in-law. Dude is large. Calls him Tiny Terry. Thinks he loves pickles. All this is wrong. <laughs> Unfactual. Yes. Is that all we have? Basically. Go team. <laughs> From all of us to all of you, this has been Back in the Field. Wait, are we really wrapping this up? Why not? <laughs> Wait, um, is there, did we, co- we covered everything, all our notes? Uh, I mean, we could actually talk about Terry. Nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah. Wait, actually, there was one thing I wanted to talk about, and I, it might have been the notes, but it might be buried, uh-huh. which is that this is the second time we see, uh, well, first of all, this is the first time we really see Holt mentoring Terry, or like kind of them like being like, we haven't he seen He gets him recertified like one episode before this. What? Is that really the or episode Or during before? the vulture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two episodes ago. So, so the same thing happens in this episode that happened in that episode. We had the B plot touch the A plot, or yeah. I guess the C plot in this case. And we see Holt and Terry interacting. We see them. We see their interactions periodically throughout the show, and they're mm-hmm. always enjoyable. Like yep. we've talked about how much we enjoy them. They're purely fun. They're just really fun. Um, we like them. We like them. We like them a lot. In in this case, we see the the plots touch again when Terry's out on the patio roof smoking deck thing, and Holt's like, "Yeah, I've got you know, Whitman's Whitakers Whitman." I've got the uh, Kid Cudi and his I've lawyer. I've got Kid Cudi and his lawyer. <laughs> Kid Cudi and his lawyer are in Andre Brower's office. Andre Brower breaks the fourth wall. We don't know why. <laughs> he tells Terry what's going on, and Terry's like, "What? No, not that! My brother-in-law's coming to the station." And Holt's like, "What is wrong with you?" And he's like, "But yours is really important too." <laughs> it's a rare moment, I think. We're like, usually, I feel like we see Terry being like the grown-up in this situation, and in this case. Holt is being the grown-up in this situation. Right. And after that, he orders him to take a nap. I like their dynamic a lot, and I'm glad that the show revisits it periodically. And it fits nicely into our overall pattern of Holt mentoring everyone but Amy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that is actually everything we wanted to talk about in this episode. We, we, covered, we covered the shipping. We covered the time crunch, the overwhelming time pressure. We talk about Boyle being caught between a... <laughs> A rock and a hard place, I guess. Uh, that's a good way to characterize Rosa and Gina. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that is a very good way of characterizing that entire situation. And yeah, no, this was. I look forty eight episodes. Forty eight hours is one of my favorite apps, and it's just like just structurally sound. There's not a whole lot for us to poke at here. Go, go team. Cool. Well, from all of us here back in the field, my name is Arthi. My name is Carl. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>